This is really awkward. Awkward? Pretty awkward. It's just all a little bit too awkward. Awkward. And also kind of proud of being awkward. Hashtag awkward. It was really awkward. It's awkward. I have awkward vibes in me. A little bit awkward. Very awkward and clumsy. You are so awkward to be around. Pale, awkward young men. So awkward. <laughs> that was very awkward. Which makes things slightly awkward. It's awkward. That's what makes it a little awkward. Very awkward and very unnatural. I'm like a pretty awkward dude. It's an awkward conversation. <laughs> uh, well, good morning, Crossroads. Who's ready to get awkward? Are we ready? Are we ready for this? Yeah? Okay. Uh, whether you are right here in Goshen or joining us online, I want to welcome you. Mishawaka, St. Pete, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here uh, because we are having some important conversations. I think, honestly... Uh, when it comes right down to it, when you're having an awkward conversation, it's probably really important because why have that conversation if it is so awkward, if it's not worth having? And so I want you to think about the reality that over these next few weeks as we dive into some different awkward conversations, there is a reality that these are actually crucial conversations, conversations that we need to be having uh, because they keep us focused on who God is calling us to be and how we can live a life that is fully devoted to him. And so I just encourage you to lean in to the awkwardness because I think that these conversations allow us to take next steps in our faith and to become more like Jesus. And so I'm, I'm excited to have these conversations together uh, with you over these next few weeks. Before we dive in, though, I just want to say uh, we have just wrapped up our all-in series, a, a huge challenge for us to all take a next step in generosity together. Uh, for five weeks, we really hit on the fact that God will take us as far as we let him. And the only limit to where God takes us in the future as a church, I believe, is the level of our generosity. And two weeks ago, we had Commitment Sunday. I was able to give you a quick video message last week to celebrate. Uh, man, it's been an amazing response and to give other people a chance to, to join in on the party because the reality is everyone is invited to be a part of this investment in the kingdom, uh, but no one is obligated. Uh, and the reality is uh, next Sunday, we are going to have a massive celebration. And Crossroads, I just got to be honest with you, as your pastor, I am overwhelmed at how you have responded to this all-in series and to this challenge to step up and, and take a next step in generosity. I, I can't believe what God is doing in the life of our church. And I just want to give everybody a chance to be a part of that because together, you guys, we are investing in eternity. And I believe that the best days of Crossroads are right in front of us as we commit to inviting thousands of outsiders each and every week to a changed life, to celebrating a thousand changed lives through baptism over the next four years. We get to be a part of that, and I want everyone to have a chance to be a part. So we're going to celebrate next week, but if you haven't had a chance to commit uh, at every chair, every other chair at every campus, there's a commitment card, and if you were thinking about it, you're realizing now I have a chance to commit, take that opportunity today, fill out your commitment card, and drop that off in the baptism pool that are in all the lobbies at all of our campuses because that is just a symbol that I am investing in eternity. I am investing in the sacred moments that are going to happen here at Crossroads over the next few years. And again, Crossroads, you've overwhelmed me with your response, and I can't wait to celebrate that with you next week, all right? So who's excited about that? Who's excited to see where God takes us? Our best days are right in front of us, and I can't wait to see where God, God takes us. So let's get ready for that. But before... 
we celebrate all that, it's time to have an awkward conversation, all right? So I think without further ado, we've just got to say it, uh, let's talk about sex, all right? There is no uh, salt and pepper song today uh, to introduce that. However, we are going to go there today and talk about God's plan for our lives when it comes to sex and sexuality. And it's an awkward conversation, but I think it's a necessary conversation because in our culture today, we are being bombarded uh, from every side with this message of what we should be doing sexually. And it's, it runs contrary to the plan that God has for our lives. And I want to start today with what Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, because it sets up perfectly uh, where we are heading. I like to begin and end with one concept today, and that's this. Paul writes, <clears throat> flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This, this brings a, a greater depth to the conversation about sex and sexuality because it frames it in the reference to the reality that God has paid an extravagant price so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free. And I want us to lean into that today to recognize, man, when I have said yes to Jesus, when I experience his forgiveness, his love in my life, when I have the opportunity to be set free of everything that holds me back from becoming who it is he's calling me to be, my obligation is to honor God with my body, to remember who I am, and to lean into who God is calling me to be. And so as we talk about this topic today, just know out of the gate, I'm not here to try to throw stones or make anybody feel guilty. I'm reminded of when Jesus was confronted with this woman who had been caught in adultery and all the people that were gathering around wanted to stone her and, and murder her because of her crimes and her penalties. And Jesus' response was, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. Like, come on now, let's, let's have a minute to process this because the whole point of Jesus coming to planet Earth was to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to invite outsiders to a changed life. And that's what I want to invite you to today. I want you to, to see that God has a greater purpose and a plan for your life. And that when we trust that the commands that God gives us are for our benefit, I believe that's where life is lived to the fullest. And so I just want you to have an opportunity today to say yes to Jesus. To know that you can be forgiven you can be set free and that no matter how you walk through the doors today, what you're carrying with, whatever guilt and shame you may be walking with, you can be set free from that. That's the power and the beauty of who Jesus is and the love that he has for us. Can I get an amen to that? Because Jesus changes lives and he sets us free and I want to celebrate that today. So keeping that in mind, let's talk about sex and the Bible. Uh, four quick things that I think are important to address before we dive in. Uh, number one, uh, the Bible affirms the goodness of sex as God's gift. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> sex is good. Yes, it is. Uh, now, our culture, our world tends to pervert that and twist it into something that God did not intend it to be. But sex at its, at its core is a gift from God. That's amazing, right? I never really think about that. I have the gift of serving and the gift of kindness and the gift of sex. <laughs> I, 
I actually just verbally processed that with you right there in that moment. I've never actually thought about saying that before. Uh, number two, the Bible only presents the goodness of sex within the confines of marriage. Now, that's, that's really important. I think that we have to understand that this is how God intended sex to be lived out in our lives, within the confines of marriage. And that's a really important thing to, to circle as we begin this conversation together because God has a beautiful plan for sex and he's got that within the beautiful uh, institution of marriage uh, between husband and wife. And I, we're going to lean into that in a little bit, but that's, that's where God created sex to be part of our lives. Now, the Bible presents sex as being associated with both pleasure and procreation. Again, amen. That's fantastic. Um, and finally, the Bible honestly addresses sexual passion and temptation. I mean, really, in its entirety, the Bible really does have a comprehensive, holistic view of sex. It, it talks about it in terms of, of happiness, of holiness, and healthy relationships. It, it talks about everything, and it honestly addresses the struggle, like the temptations that we face and the reality that, man, this is something that people have struggled with since the beginning of time. And so I want you to be encouraged today in the sense that if you struggle, if you have temptations, this is nothing new. There's nothing here that, that God can't handle. And he offers us forgiveness. He offers us freedom. So I just want you to go into this conversation today remembering, man, God loves you and there is nothing you can do about it. How cool is that? He loves you with an extravagant love it's how we respond to that love that really matters, and specifically in regard to our sexuality. So let's talk. Three things about sex that we have to talk about. Here we go. Number one, let's talk about my identity. When it comes to our identity, I think that the culture that we live in has become so sexualized, where sex becomes just the main thing that we're thinking about, talking about, exposed to on such a regular basis that we become so consumed with sexuality that the defining character of my life actually ends up being my sexuality because it consumes us in ways that God didn't intend for it to consume us. We're, we're living in our sexuality outside of the plan that God has for us, and it's become very, very unhealthy, and it's become very damaging in our culture. And we're going to talk about that as, as this conversation progresses. But the reality that I want you to think about today is that your identity is so incredibly deeper than just the limit of your sexuality. I want to challenge you with this idea today that you are a child of God. How about we start there with our identity? I love what it says in Genesis chapter 1. I mean, we're going all the way back to the beginning. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He walks through creation. And then in verse 26, it gets to us. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is important because from the very beginning we realize we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have been made in the image of God. You are his most prized possession. His, his favorite of all of creation. That's you. 
You are his child, and there is nothing that he wouldn't do for you. Recognize that just a couple chapters later in Genesis, the relationship with God that he created us for was broken. It was broken by sin. We, we were created to live in relationship with God. Think about the significance of that. He longs to be with us, and since that moment, God has done everything he can to correct that, to fix that broken relationship so that we can live with him. And that's why when we talk about saying yes to Jesus, the reality that Jesus offers us forgiveness and freedom, that's huge because it says in John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. He sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin that we could not pay. Why? So we could restore that broken relationship with God. So whoever believes in him, whoever says yes to Jesus, will not perish but have everlasting life. Ever since that relationship was broken, God has done everything he can because he loves you so much to restore that relationship, to fix and to heal that which was broken. You are a child of God. He loves you with an extravagant love. Please don't ever forget that that is the source of your identity. That changes everything. Think about it for a second. When it comes to sex and sexuality, I ask you a question. Where does our moral code even come from? Who decides what's right and wrong? Well, if you believe that you're a child of God, you believe that every command that he gives you is for his benefit, then that's where your moral, your moral code comes from. The problem that we face in our culture today is that you either believe in God, you believe that you're a child of God, or you don't. And if you don't believe in God, you don't believe you're his child, then secular humanism, the, the whole idea of being an atheist, there is no God, it, it permeates your society, permeates your culture, and that's where your worldview begins. And that changes everything. Think about it. Uh, in 2012, there was a Duke philosophy professor uh, who wrote the book, The Atheist's Guide to Reality. Uh, I love that. He's like the expert on being an atheist of life without God. And he writes a book about it. So, so they're asking him questions about, you know, the universe and, and what life means without a God in it. And honestly, it's interesting and it's, it's heartbreaking all at the same time. Because when they ask him the questions of life that are really the most significant questions, the answers that he gives are, are without any type of hope for anything. I mean, here's the questions and here's his answers. They ask this, this professor, this, you know, expert in atheism, is there a God? No. What is the purpose of the universe? There is none. What is the meaning of life? There is none. Why am I here? It, it's just dumb luck. Does prayer work? Of course not. Is there a soul? His response, are you kidding? <laughs> what happens when I die? Everything pretty much goes on as before except us. What is the difference between right and wrong? There is no moral difference between them. So here's the question, why should I be moral? Answer, because it makes you feel better than being immoral. I mean, that's, that's the sum total of life. If you don't believe that you are a child of God, that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made, that you bear his image, that he loves you with an extravagant love, then this is what you are left with. Whereas if you put your trust in Jesus, think about the answers to those questions and how different they are. Where do you come from? What's your origin? Well, I, I'm made in the image of God. I'm his most prized creation. I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. 
What's the meaning of life? I've, I've been made by God and I've been made for God. My life has purpose. God created me with all kinds of things for me specifically to do with the gifts and abilities that he gave me. What's the point of life? What's your destiny? Well, I have eternal hope and future because of what God has done for me. This is just the beginning. How you look at the world matters. And when it comes to our moral code, when you realize that you are a child of God, your identity matters. It makes a difference. And when you're a child of God, you've got to listen to what he's saying and trust that every command that God gives you is for your benefit. He has come to give you life to the fullest. John 10.10, a verse I reference very often because it's significant and it matters. The thief, the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the devil does. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm not having anything to do with that. I've come so that you might have life and life to the fullest. That's why it's so important that we follow Jesus, that we trust Jesus, that we're willing to make him the highest priority in our lives, that when he asks us to obey him, that we surrender and we commit and say, God, I will follow you. So what does that look like when it comes to our sexuality? Well, we've got to talk about our ideals. My identity, I am a child of God. That's where it all begins. So how does that impact my ideal, my standard of excellence? Well, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be the person that he has called me to be. And in the Bible, the word for that is holiness. I want to be like Jesus. I want to live life to the fullest. I don't want to miss out on a single thing that he has in store for me. And so when it comes to our sexuality, here's what it says in Ephesians. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, because that's who you are. You are a child of God. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That again references the great price that has been paid for us. Then he says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. If you are a child of God, that's not the life that he's called you to. He has a better life for you than that. In fact, if he's paid this price so that that relationship can be restored, that can't be the way. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to be like Jesus. I want to become more like him. And so when we break that down, there's this recognition that in the culture that we live in today, that is just permeated by sex and sexuality, everywhere you turn, you can't avoid it. There's this realization that there are two very different paths that we are called to go down. We can choose to follow this path where it's do what you want, do what feels good, yay for you. Or you can try to be like Jesus and say, you know what, in, in light of everything that God has done for me, I'm going to trust that every command he gives me is for my benefit, even his command about my sex and my sexuality, and I'm going to make that my ideal, my standard of excellence for my life. Not even a hint of impurity in my life. And I think about that in, in terms of water. I mean, in this, you know, this canister here, we have water. It's just pure water. And, you know, i got to be honest with you. I'm a little bit parched up here. Uh, I was at a Notre Dame game last night, and I was doing some yelling. <sighs> yeah, that's pretty good. There's nothing better than just a glass of pure water. Like, you're really thirsty. This is what you want, some pure water. And I think that's how Jesus sees us. Like, he wants our lives to be completely pure, completely centered on him. 
that's, that's the fully devoted follower of Jesus. Like, God, every single day I'm saying yes to you. That's my goal. That's my ideal. That's my standard of excellence. So what happens? We, <laughs> we start rationalizing and justify things. What I picked up at the poison store was some poison this week. It says poison. And so... <laughs> Maybe that was funnier to me. I mean, this looks really terrible. I don't know how close you're zoomed in on that, but I made that by myself. I taped that on there, and I, I printed that off, but uh, it's danger, poison, okay? <laughs> so what happens? In our culture, being bombarded by all these messages that say, do what you want, sex is not a big deal, everybody's doing it, don't worry about it, we rationalize behaviors, we justify things in our life that really shouldn't be there. But it's the same thing with every temptation. It's like the devil says, it's not going to hurt you. You're going to be fine. You can control it. It's not going to bother anything. And so, we, you know, we put our toe in the water, like, just a little bit, like, yeah, you know, there is a little bit of poison in there, but it's not that much. I think that's still acceptable to Jesus. I think I'm going to be okay. It's that whole idea of getting as close to the world as we possibly can and, and have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of world all at the same time and try to do that balancing act. And yet, we just, we, we dabble, we, we, we do things we shouldn't, and suddenly our lives aren't quite as, as pure as we would like them to be. They're not quite as pure as, as what God is calling us to, like not even a hint of impurity. And I, I just want you to think about that as we dive into some different areas in our life where we see what God's plan for sex is. Like regarding marriage, let's just start there. It says in Genesis 2, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I love that verse. I, I love that verse. Because Adam's job was to name all of the animals that God created. He would bring them before, and Adam would be like, lion, elephant. And then he got bored, and he's like, hippopotamus. You know, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how that works. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would like to think that God <laughs> puts Adam to sleep, takes her up, he makes woman, he wakes him up, he's like, Adam, I have created Eve for you, and, and Adam wakes up and he's like, whoa, man. I, I, I mean, that's just me. That's just me. I don't know. That could be how it happened. I mean, if it was me, that's how it would have been like, whoa, man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it goes on. He says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And, and then this verse is just fantastic. It's just randomly there. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's like, amen, yahoo. <laughs> Those are verses that you never really tell your kids. Hey, memorize Genesis uh, 2.25. <laughs> but this is really important. I mean, you see right out of the gate, this is God's plan for marriage, and it's significant. I mean, this is us representing, like, you, you go out on your own. You, you grow up as a child with your parents, and then you go out to start your own life, and there's this picture of you creating your own family. Two become one. Man and wife, husband and wife, become one. And 
And something beautiful and sacred happens within the confines of marriage. I mean, it really is the building block. Marriage is the building block to society. And you go all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, and you see this was God's plan for us from the very beginning, to become one. And I tell you, every time I walk through uh, premarital counseling with people who are getting married, this is a really, really important subject to talk about because it is a sacred moment. When you get married, you are making a covenant. It, is, it goes two directions. There's the vertical covenant and the horizontal covenant. And there's that horizontal covenant between two people, husband and wife. They commit to loving each other for the rest of their lives. It is a covenant that you are making till death do us part. And at the same moment, it's the only time this happens in life, at the same moment, you are making a covenant to God, that in the sight of God, God, this is a covenant I'm making to my spouse, and it's a covenant that I'm making to you, all at the same moment. It is a beautiful intersection that is just a beautiful and sacred moment of two becoming one. And in marriage, you have, you have safety, you have stability, you have security, you have, honestly, what everyone is looking for, what everyone is searching for, you find it in a, in a healthy marriage that is focused on Jesus. Because in a marriage like that, it's the perfect way to reflect the love that God has for us. And marriage is not just some passionate love, all right? It's so much deeper. It's, it's an agape love. It is a love that is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is a love that serves, and I think in our society today, we've so cheapened the idea of sex and sexuality that when marriage gets difficult, the passion is gone. You begin to wonder, well, I think my relationships struggle because the passion's gone. No, that's just where your commitment, your, your love is going deeper. You've got to fight through the difficult times. And every marriage has the ups and downs. I, every marriage does. You will drive your spouse crazy sometimes, and your spouse will drive you crazy sometimes. I tell that to every couple that I marry. I stop in the middle of the wedding ceremony. I do this on purpose. I say, look at your groom. Is, look at, he is your, what a stud that guy is you get to marry. Wow. You're thinking, he's the perfect man. He will never, ever do anything to irritate or annoy me. But he will. I do the same thing. Look at your beautiful bride. Oh, she's so beautiful. She's perfect in every way. She will never do anything to bother you. She will. She'll drive you crazy. And it's in those moments you realize, this is where I made a covenant. This is where I made a commitment between God and my spouse. This is the deepest kind of love. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. It serves. And I think we, we forget that. With the passion, it comes and goes. you got to fight for it. And, man, you get on each other's nerves. I get on Dana's nerves all the time. I, I'm just that. I can be super annoying. She has never gotten on my nerve once, though. She's perfect. No. She gets on my nerves, too, sometimes. We fight through it. We're committed. That's the deepest kind of love. And there's an intimacy that forms from that. When over time you're doing life together, you've been through thick and thin Man, that is what everybody's looking for. Stability, security, satisfaction. That's God's plan for marriage. And I think we get caught up in our culture. We see everything going around sexually. And it's do it feels good. If the relationship's dead, go find a new relationship. And that's not what God's called us to. We've got to be really careful there. In Hebrews 13, it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I mean, that gets serious. This is important to Jesus. This is important to God. Not even a hint 
of impurity in our lives. Make sure you're fully committed to your marriages. Make sure you're not allowing the devil to get a foothold in, in your marriage. Fight for your marriage. We're going to be leaning into that as we get into the new year. We've got to invest in our marriages and our families because we have an opportunity to raise up the next generation. Our kids are watching us. They're, they're watching you. You are the ultimate uh, picture of who Jesus is and the, and the love that he has for them. We've got to take that seriously in our marriages and our families. So that's regarding marriage. That's God's plan for sex. Now let's talk about lust and pornography. And everybody said, oh. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here's what happens in our culture. A culture that is being bombarded with pornography. It's, it's never been as accessible to our culture and to our kids as it is today. And I think that after time, I mean, probably for the last 10 to 15 years now, it's just been accessible at every turn. We are now seeing the first generation come up that's it's been exposed to pornography since day one. The, the average age that a child is exposed to pornography now is 11. You've legitimately got children 12, 13, 14 years old that are already addicted to pornography and really struggling. It's devastating. As a pastor, I get to have those conversations. I get to pick up the pieces and help people find forgiveness and freedom. We think that this stuff is stuff we can dabble with. We rationalize it and justify and We think that it doesn't have consequences. But it's the same story, right? Well, it's just... You know, every now and then, it's not a big deal. Nobody's watching. I'm fine. I can control this. And we get a little bit more polluted, right? And we allow our minds to be consumed by things that God never created or intended us for to be consumed with. And it just begins to pollute us that much more and that much more. And before we know it, we become controlled by our addictions. And we're not even close to what God called us to be. And this is devastating. Our culture, it's... It's destroying families. It's a disease in the church. Don't think that we're exempt just because we come to church on Sundays. These are things that we have to, to battle through. These are things that we have to be strategic about with our kids and have conversations that matter. You talk about awkward and crucial conversations. You've got to have these conversations with your kids. I've been having these conversations with my boys. got two middle school boys now, so that's fun. Um, Because this is something that everybody has to stay focused on being pure with. What I hate about the Christian life, and I don't say it very often, what I hate about the Christian life, I hate that we can't, as, as followers of Jesus, you know, make a decision. Like, I choose to not fall into this temptation. And then, like, it's done. Like, you never deal with that struggle or temptation ever again. I hate that there's people I know that have gone down the journey of life that, man, they were faithful and they were great for years. And then you get some certain age, something triggers something, and all of a sudden they fall into a trap that they had gotten victory over 20 years ago. I mean, that's what the devil does. He'll try to get his foot in the door any way he can. And this is one of those areas, you guys, where so many people are just enslaved to their addiction. I think the devil has a foothold in so many people's lives and holds them back because of the guilt and the shame. And they just, they start buying the lie that there is no forgiveness and there is no freedom. And I want you to know that no matter how you walk to the door, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what guilt and shame you carry, 
man, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You have a community of people here at Crossroads who care about you. You know what I love about Crossroads? Celebrate Recovery that meets here at Goshen on Tuesdays over Mishawaka at Thursdays. That's people who walk through these things with you and help you get freedom. And that's not weak. That's the strongest thing you can possibly do. And that's worth celebrating when lives are changed by the power of Jesus. Yeah, it's amazing. But you guys, we've got to protect ourselves. We've got to protect our kids. I mean, I'm, my kids are at the age now where they're like, Dad, I, my friends have phones. It's time for me to get a phone. And I'm like, no way, unless you want one of those old flip phones. That's what you get. I'm so thankful Apple came out with a watch because I can call my kid and text my kid, but they can't be on the internet. It's fantastic. Highly recommend it. Thank you, Steve Jobs. Okay, so <laughs> when it comes to this, this topic, though, I mean, can we have just a real conversation for a second? Because we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our minds. In Psalm 101, David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eye. And we have to make a daily decision to do that. Right? I mean, it's every day saying yes to Jesus, I will follow you. Because I'm not going to let the devil get a foothold in my life. And honestly, I mean, I have to watch that in my life where even the stuff that we watch on TV. Like, I've recognized over the last couple of years, like, if I'm watching a movie or watching TV and my kids come in the room and I go, oh, I have to change the channel. I'm going, wait a second. If I had to change the channel for my kid, I probably shouldn't be watching that myself, right? It's those checks. Because the devil will do everything he can to get his foot in that door and get a, a stronghold in your life. Now we've got to really be careful. We act like we've got it. Like, it's the lie, right? I can control this. It's just a little thing. And it's not a big deal. I want you to think about some of these stats. Did you know that 30% of the internet is porn? 30%. 43% of people in America surveyed say, ah, porn's okay, it's not a big deal. But it's so destructive. Uh, the Minnesota Human Trafficking Task Force recently found 46 published research studies demonstrating that exposure to pornography puts individuals at increased risk for committing sexual offenses because it permeates your brain, it consumes you. Instead of thinking about the things of heaven, the things of God, the life that he's called you to, your mind gets consumed by sex. And that has consequences. Your, your, your thoughts, your attitudes, they lead to actions. 46 published studies demonstrate that. And then the trends. I mean, this is what, it breaks my heart. A February 2018 Esquire magazine read, incest is the fastest growing trend in porn. I mean, that's where it goes. Like, are, are we being serious right now? And it's impacting our kids in a terrible way in our country. Researchers at the University of Massachusetts in Boston performed a Google trend analysis showing searches for teen porn more than tripled between 2005 and 13. Estimated 500,000 daily searches, or one-third of total daily porn searches for teen porn. It's messing with our minds. It's taking us nowhere good. And when the ideal that God calls us to is is not even a hint of impurity in our lives. Guys, we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our minds. We've got to make that standard. I, I will set no wicked thing before my eye. I will not give the devil a foothold in my life. And so that takes us to the final piece. It's, it's regarding self-control. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, here's what Paul writes. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And that means that I am set apart. I, I realize that I have been bought with a price. Jesus loves me with an extravagant love and there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. And because of the love that God has for me, because I am his child, 
because my ideal is, is purity, then there's this reality that I should be sanctified, I should be set apart, my life should be surrendered, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to say yes to Jesus every single day. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this manner no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. I mean, this gets real. He's saying, listen, don't just give in to your urges and passions. Your life is so much more important than that. You are a child of God. Don't just give in to what everybody else is doing around you. No, God has called you to a better life than that. Your ideal is purity. That's what he's called us to. And I think, I think that the reality is we fall into this trap where we think that everybody else around us is doing what is normal. We rationalize, we justify, and we think that it's okay. And we find ourselves in places we never should have gone. And it's, it's killing our culture. It's having devastating consequences on the church. And when it comes to our sexuality, we think it's okay. It's not a big deal. We've got this. Come on, Tim. It's fine. Nobody's getting hurt by this. And then you realize that whole idea, that whole concept, it's my body. I do what I want. It doesn't hurt anybody. The fallout from that is so incredibly destructive. Think about all the broken marriages, all the families that are destroyed, uncontrolled addictions. How about the diseases? You know, one in five people in America have an STD. That's awesome. Look at four people next to you. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> And pick the one you think has it. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, man. It has consequences, right? And th- our culture says, do what you want, right? It's not a big deal. It's fine, right? Like, think about all the, the, oh, the messages that we get. The club isn't a place where you find a lover, so the bar is where I go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Ed Sheeran. Obviously, that was a great rendition. (laughs) That was also not planned at all. Uh. Man, we think we're okay. We're just having a good time. It's just fun. Don't worry about it. Then you see where all of this leads. All of the abuse. You know, we deal with one in six boys who's sexually abused in America. One in four girls. One in four. Oh, it's fine. It's not hurting anybody. We have 186 out of every 1,000 pregnancies that is ending in abortion today. It's not a big deal. Everything's fine. We're going to be okay. We have people who are being trafficked for sex. There are 500,000 children predators in America. 80,000 are missing right now. That's a real, real live stat. And we think, oh, we're fine. It's okay. It's not hurting anybody. But it's destroying us. This is how the devil has has gotten a stronghold in so many people's lives. And as a culture, we try to hide all those facts. We try not to talk about it, sweep it under the rug. But it's so destructive. It's not the life that God has called us to. And I want to encourage you today. 
I don't want to leave you going, oh man, that's terrible. See you next Sunday. <laughs> I want you to know today that God is a God who forgives. And God is a God who sets you free. I think too often we buy the lie that I, I've got too many addictions in my life, I've got too many things in my past that God can't use me, I, he can't redeem me. Man, never forget your identity. You are a child of God. God loves you and there is nothing you can do about it. And how about this? God loves you, but he refuses to leave you the way you are. He wants you to become more like him. And when you say yes to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, would you set me free? He gives the power to make everything new. He is the one who changes lives. And I want you to know today that you can walk in that forgiveness. You can walk in that freedom. You don't have to let these things define you. What I love about what God does is that it doesn't matter how filthy or dirty you are. Like, you fill up a cup of that water, I do not want that. It has poison from the poison bottle. And yet Jesus, man, what he does is he pours himself into you. He forgives you. He sets you free. And he makes you new. That's what God does. And when you think about the reality that, that that's the life that he calls us to, that the, the price that he has paid is so extravagant because he loves you, there's this realization that I, I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to be like Jesus. That's where life is lived to the fullest. I am forgiven. I am free. I'm, I'm encouraging all of you today to know beyond the shadow of a doubt you are dearly and deeply loved by God. Don't let the culture define you. Don't let your sex and sexuality define you. You are a child of God. You are dearly and deeply loved by him. Make it the desire of your heart, your intent, to just not have a hint of anything impure in your life. If you need help with that, man, I'm telling you, Celebrate Recovery is the ministry for you. You're not going to get judged at all. These are people who are wanting you to have success and, and come to the other side of this forgiven and free. Man, there's nothing more beautiful than that. I think that the final piece here is it's your intent. It's got to be, I will run from temptation, right? And not just running from temptation, but run to Jesus because he is the one that sets me free. And so I just close with 1 Corinthians 6, right where we started. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? He's guiding you. He's directing you. He's convicting you. He's helping you become more like him. Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let's make that our goal. Not a hint of impurity in our lives. When something comes our way that's tempting us, we, we run from it. We run to Jesus because he gives us the strength to overcome. As we come to a close, I just I want to encourage you to know that you are dearly and deeply loved by God. That when you say yes to Jesus, you can be forgiven and you can be set free. And so I ask you today, number one, are you honoring God with your body? I think it's a question that we all have to ask. It's good just to do the, the update from time to time to make sure that there's nothing that's creeping in my life that's even a hint of impurity. Are you honoring God with your body? And then there's that challenge that everyone at any given moment 
is invited to say yes to Jesus. You can be forgiven. You can be set free. You don't have to walk around and carry the guilt and shame. He gives you the victory. That doesn't have any hold on you. And so as we come to a close, I would just ask, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment? Would you just take a moment to draw close to Jesus? And in this moment, just be honest. Jesus, have I allowed anything that's impure to have a foothold in my life? Is there a stronghold that I'm struggling with that I need to surrender to you? Jesus is the giver of life. He offers forgiveness and he offers freedom. And in this moment today, if you're here and you're realizing, man, I, I need to say yes to Jesus. I've been trying to do this on my own and I realize I need him. I need to be forgiven. I need to be set free. If that's a decision you'd like to make today to say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, would you just raise your hand? Let me know that's where you're at today so I can pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. I want to invite you in this moment to know that you are dearly and deeply loved by God. That he paid the price that we could not pay to set you free. And so I want to invite you in this moment to say yes to Jesus. And I want us to all say yes to Jesus together. If you would, just go ahead and look up at me and look at the screens. I would invite you to say this prayer with me as we close today. It's a prayer that invites Jesus into our lives. It's a prayer that asks for his forgiveness and asks him to set us free. Because I think our relationship with God begins with that first time we say yes to Jesus. And I'm inviting you to say yes to Jesus for the first time today. If your heart's racing and you're realizing, I need to do this, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to him. Don't miss out on this moment. It's a beautiful and sacred moment. But I believe that the Christian life is a series of every day us saying yes to Jesus over and over again. And this gives us a moment to just refocus on our relationship with God and say yes to him together. So would you pray this prayer with me today together? Let's read this out loud. Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins, and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Listen, I want to invite you today. If you have said yes to Jesus for the first time, I want you to know you have been forgiven. You have been set free. And I would invite you, on the way out today, would you join us in the lobby? We've got a gift for you. I'd like to give you this Bible. Not this one, but one just like it. Uh, because we want to go on this journey with you. We're not only inviting you to a changed life, we want to see you thrive and become the person that God's calling you to be. And I believe your greatest adventure is just in front of you. And I'm excited to see where this goes when together as a church we say yes to Jesus. I invite you to stand in this moment. We're going to close worshiping God together and leave today walking in the freedom that knows that we have been forgiven, we have been set free, we are dearly and deeply loved by God.